It's behind the headlines on WLIWFM. This is our weekly chance to sit down with award-winning journalists from all over the East End to do a little bit of a deeper dive into the week's news. I'm Joe Shaw. I'm the executive editor of the Express News Group. We publish the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, the website 27East.com, and Express Magazine. With me is my co-host, Bill Sutton. He's the managing editor of the Express News Group. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, everybody. Happy to have you here. And uh, our panel today includes Christine Sampson, who's the deputy managing editor at the East Hampton Star. Hey, Chrissy. Good morning. Good to see you. Denise Civiletti, who's the editor of Riverhead Local. Hey, Denise. Good morning. And we have J.D. Allen, who is the managing editor of WSHU Public Radio. Hey, J.D. Hey, how are you? Good to have you. So let's start, Chrissy, with a new project that the Star launched this week. Um, It's to talk about uh, the older residents in the region, and it's a special section, right? Is this going to be a recurring section that you guys are doing? What's the plan for that? Yeah, so the next, it's called the next chapter um, and kind of a nod to what lies for in, in the future for all of us, right? Eventually at some point, um, we're going to do it about every few months. Um, it is a special section, but, you know, the, the statistics that we were thinking we had in mind when we launched this project is that, um, you know, for the by the year 2034, people 65 and older are projected to outnumber people 18 and under for the first time in American history. Hmm. And, you know, that's going to, you know, the World Health Organization says that working to make sure the world is more age friendly is an essential and urgent part of our changing demographics. Um, so I just, you know, we, we have this focus, you know, this, these are some resources for how to protect yourself against scams, targeting the elderly or, um, you know, town programs and resources, why it's important that we keep moving, physically moving, you know, that sort of thing. So. Um, and sh- shout out to uh, our, our friend Gianna Volpe, who contributed to this uh, special project this week. And yeah, it's uh, we we just we have a lot of folks in this age range around us out here. And so with that, th- this is created with them in mind. This is a significant demographic on the East End, right? I mean, it, it's and I think growing. It is growing, yeah. Um, and there will be like the worldwide it's growing as well not just here you know there are generations that are moving forward towards retirement that are going to change the way the world is once again this is a good topic and i know um we have a a story coming up on memorial day along the same lines about people who um are able to to age without getting old um Mm -hmm. but a lot of this has to do with the resources that are available locally too for for um, older citizens. And, and um, as you said, I think we, we have sort of a, a rising tide of, of um, senior citizens and a lot of the, the baby boomers are coming into that age. Um, the towns are going to have to, the towns and villages are going to have to adapt to that, right? I mean, we're going to have to see services and, and uh, programs that are available uh, probably far beyond what they are right now. Yeah, I mean, the East Hampton town is building the new senior center with that in mind, you know, that this is going to be a boom in population out here, assuming we can age in place, right? Because there's a lot of, you know, challenges, logistical, financial challenges that come with that stage of life, right? So out here, how does a senior citizen on fixed income, you know, thrive in this this t- sort of time and culture that we're in with inflation and such? But you know, town resource, everything from transportation, um, healthcare, um, 
you know, social, social and emotional well-being, housing, urban planning, like we're going to need more accessibility, you know, more measures, more ways to enact that into our infrastructure. Yeah. And you, you mentioned too, that there's a lot of folks out there who are actually preying on this population, right? Who are, mm-hmm. who are trying to take advantage. Yeah. The scammers, um, huh. you know, the, the, all sorts of things, pretending to be somebody's grandchild who needs money ASAP, like right now in the form of a gift card. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it just, there's, there's a lot out there. Denise, did you oh. want to say some? I, I just wanted to volunteer to write a, a column for you. I think, a, <laughs> a humor column, I think. I, because like how, as soon as you reach a certain age and, or if you let your hair go gray, uh, as I've done all, pretty much all my life, uh, but it, like people treat you like you're a five-year-old. Yeah. Literally. Like they start yeah. talking to you like you're a little kid all of a sudden. And I'm like, you know, especially if you have to interact with staff in a doctor's office, like mm-hmm. it's, you know, anyway, so I think there's a good humor column in that. And uh, <laughs> we'll be in touch, Denise. I really love that idea. <laughs> I'm, I'm, in, I'm, I'm part of that. I'm solidly part of that demographic now, unfortunately. And, and it comes quickly. Let me just tell you, youngins. There you go. It's really important stuff. I mean, I, I think really last is. I looked anyway, this town of Southold had the oldest median age in the whole state. I don't oh, know wow. if that's changed since the pandemic, but, um, you know, maybe younger people have moved out here. But anyway. So you were talking yeah, about the scams good. and I'll just I'll just tell a story. And it's apropos to nothing is my father and he doesn't live on the East End. He's down in in South Carolina. And I never would have considered my father naive, but he's constantly telling me that he gets these emails. Um, you know, should, hey, do you think this email is real? Do you think that email is real? And I keep telling him, no, just delete the emails. Don't ever click on the emails. Just delete the emails. And and he called me called me the other day, and and he had gotten an email from AOL. And yes, he still uses AOL email, and that's all he'll ever use. And and it was it was some kind of. Um, you know, we're going to discontinue your AOL if you don't upgrade and click here to upgrade and, and blah, blah, blah. And he said, what do you think of that? And I said, it's a scam. Don't click on it. Just just delete it. And he didn't believe me. So he called AOL. I don't know how he got through. He got through to somebody <laughs> at AOL. Apparently, AOL one of the many has, subsidiary no, connections. Exactly. Some AOL still has people on the phone that, that will take a call. And the guy was trying to verify his identity, you know, tell me the last three emails you got. And of course, my father was having trouble with that and didn't remember his password or anything like that. But the guy told him, um, you know, it didn't come from us. Just delete the email. Don't worry about it. But but my father um, didn't believe that. And he called me again and I said, well, he told you, just delete it. Don't worry about it. And he said, yeah, but my my AOL is going to run out and it's going to run out on on the 26th and what 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 am i going to do if that runs out this guy sends uh you know three emails a month my dad you know but <laughs> so he ended up calling AOL a second time and got through to somebody the second time and they finally told him the same thing just delete it and then i get a text from him on the 26th and he's like well i guess you all were right my AOL is still working and i'm like good and you know and it, it's it's humorous but it's scary to me because you know, here's a guy that that he's a solid, you know, solid guy. I never would have considered him to be naive or or anything. But as as he's getting a little older, um, things start to worry him a little more. And, and and I think people that you wouldn't feel 
would fall prey to some of these um, the, these scams, you know, are, are a little more susceptible to it. And that uh, scares me a little bit. But it, it's a funny story. Nonetheless, he called AOL. I, I don't know. <laughs> I can't imagine calling AOL. Yeah, the very headline is that AOL is still has people working <laughs> no, exactly. phones at AOL, which is which is a JD, well, this, were, you know, we're we're, we're talking we're in about a different. They were in a different country. I'll, I'll say that. But. <laughs> JD, we're talking about the East End, but this is this is a regional and a national issue, right? I mean, you know, yeah, the, I mean. I was going to say this is really well timed, Chrissy, for for a, a special section. I know that um, Governor Hochul in November had um, uh, initiated a master planning for aging in New York because um, there are like something like nine hundred thousand individuals, New Yorkers, over the age of sixty um, in the state, and as we've already said, there's a bunch on the east end of Long Island, and so over the course of this year. Um, there are, you know, some preliminary plans that the state is going to be putting together based on conversations with, um, you know, groups that help uh, those age in place, for instance, um, yeah, throughout the state. Um, and then we'll see uh, probably a, a draft of that final report in the beginning of next year. So um, I imagine that your uh, special section is going to capture some of you know, the local insight of how do we, you know, age in place? I mean, from things as sinister as scamming uh, that could get in the way to things that are, um, you know, just encountering our digital landscape. I mean, everything you need to be online for today or our physical landscape, you know, as we talk about, you know, uh, upgrading our downtowns or, um, you know, building new um uh, uh senior centers you know there are plenty of ada considerations on very old properties as well as brand new properties mm -hmm. that we need mm -hmm. to consider or access to health care i mean if you're planning on aging on the east end you might have access to emergency uh uh an urgent care near you but if you need a surgery you might be traveling hours away to get that kind mm -hmm. of care and away from your support system yeah. um so uh, and then energy and also, housing and also ties in i'm sorry i'm sorry Jamie. I oh was i was just gonna say, gonna say ties in with yeah. transportation too like yeah. uh, you know the fact of the matter is you don't see as well and driving becomes more difficult it really does so public transportation is in the, i i know i personally know three different people who moved into the city because there was good public transportation there and they can access, they can easily get to where they need to go. That's not true around here. I, I don't, I'm sorry to cut you off, J.D. It was just. Yeah, I mean, the list goes on. Transportation, yeah. energy, housing, um, you know, how do you live on a fixed income? Uh, you know, financial literacy that mm -hmm. someone over the age of 60, 65, 70, the, the, the tactics that they've had their whole life might not make sense anymore with their new... Uh, limited income or just new expenses that they never had to consider. Um, Keep so it going, I, JD. There's so much. You're giving me ideas here. Thank you. <laughs> you know what? Denise volunteered. I'll I'll do something with you too. I think it sounds like a fun project. <laughs> you know, Chrissy, JD touched on it that the governor's talked about making New York more livable um, for seniors. Um, but New York is, I think, surveys have shown one of the more difficult places to age. Um, it's it's an expensive 
state to age in. And I would think the East End in particular is is at the far end of that scale as well. It's it's an expensive place to get older, and that has to be part of the conversation. There's a prominent citizen out here, Paul Fiandella, um, who writes letters to us pretty frequently about, um, you know, how we have all the, the town housing um, initiatives, right? And he keeps advocating for more senior housing because right now there's not that much, when, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things. Um, so he keeps saying, like, you know, maybe that Wainscott project could be senior housing. So, you know, it's to solve two problems there. You know what I mean? Like it. it well, uh, well, that's. I mean, I think it, that's it ha- part, everything. That's part of the housing crisis, right? I, I think mm-hmm. in, in other communities, you have, you you know, you have empty nesters, older people who, you know, who who have raised a family in a house. They sell the house and and they move into a condo or an apartment or whatever, which which you know f- feeds the the supply of housing. But but on the east end, you, you can't go you know buy a new condo or, or or rent an apartment because rents are so high or whatever. So you have people holding on to these houses that are much too you know much too too big for them, um, you know, and and kind of limits that supply. And you know, I, I um I I think that's where the whole accessory apartment idea comes comes into play as well as one of the affordable housing solutions not to turn this into an affordable housing conversation as we do most shows <laughs> always do. Um, but but i i think that's you know um, that, that's a a big solution that that you'll see and and one that you know where you'll you'll have a senior couple own a house and maybe they build the accessory apartment and move into the accessory apartment themselves and either and and rent out you know the the main house to um um up and up uh, you know grow growing families yeah or the flip side of it where you might have someone who lived on a fixed lives on a fixed income and lives in one of the handful of manufactured uh properties uh that we have uh especially hampton bays flanders riverhead um in mobile homes etc um where they don't have control over their land um or uh, and in their uh developments and so if there is an ada concern about them now needing a cane or a wheelchair or a ramp to get onto their into their home um they have extra hoops and a lot more expenses to consider um you know to be able to just make their home livable um you can almost throw that same kind of conversation into a multi-million dollar hoa developments you know where you might not have the ability to um uh reimagine your your living at home chrissy i'm also thinking healthcare is Mm -hmm. and and we've seen um an evolution in the last 10 years or so with a lot more organizations with a presence on the East End. And I think to a large degree, that's because there's a there's a lot of opportunity there to expand the types of healthcare that, that are available here rather than, I think a, a lot of folks who were part-time residents focused on the city and the places they could get healthcare in the city. But mm-hmm. a lot of those places are here now and providing yeah. that. Yep, indeed. Yeah, and I think that fits into the conversation as well. So this is really interesting stuff, Chrissy. I'm looking forward to seeing what you guys do moving forward. It's going to be a recurring uh, section that comes out a yeah. couple of times here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's interesting for, on our end too because you're reaching your audience because I think our print readership tends to be to skew older, and 
um, I, I think that that means you're going to reach your audience uh, with that kind of section, right? That's part of got to be part Hopefully, of. Hopefully, yeah, that's part we of the thinking. Use larger fonts, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding. That, you know, it's it's an issue. It's that's not a good a thing. Idea. You know, we tried it's to really mimic, an issue. We tried to mimic lifestyle news. You know what I mean? Like we have news stories, we have art stories, we have first person column and a bonus puzzle and you know, there's all sorts of ways to serve the readers um, and, you know, to serve all of their interests. So thanks for the kudos and uh, look forward to doing it even more with the uh, in the future. Yeah, that's great. That's stuff. This, we'll week's keep... that's mm-hmm. this week's paper. Yeah. Yeah. Great. We will keep keep. I assume the content is also yeah. online, right? It will be. Yes. Great. So we'll keep an eye out for that. Uh, the name of the section, again, is the next chapter. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the star. Um, good stuff, Chrissy. Uh, this you. is Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw. My co-host is Bill Sutton. We're with the Express News Group. Chrissy Sampson is with the East Hampton Star. Denise Civiletti is with Riverhead Local. And J.D. Allen is from WSHU Public Radio. And J.D., let's talk a little bit about Montauk. We had an event, an Express Sessions event in Montauk last week to talk about the town's challenges in trying to get sewers into Montauk. And we talked about this issue in a a lot of different ways because uh, there are a lot of facets to it. Um, But the big challenge is the town says it's identified a property that would work for a sewage treatment plan. And the problem is it is part of a park, set aside parklands in Hither Hills. And that plan has run afoul of a lot of people in Montauk who don't want to see that parkland reused as a sewage plant. And the county's parks department has actually recommended against that. So it's it's a conversation that's taking place in Montauk. But um, now the Montauk, one of the groups in Montauk is bringing in a new expert to try and help find a solution here, right? Yeah. And so uh, Chris Gobler is definitely a name that we know on Long Island, especially on the East End when it comes to water quality. You know, he's been studying the Shinnecock Canal and uh, Shinnecock Bay for, um, you know, hard shell uh, clams and other uh, shellfish. He was in Lake Agawam trying to dispel um, algal blooms. And so he's heading deeper and deeper towards Montauk. Uh, not a terrible thing to do, <laughs> especially moving, as we moving east steadily. <laughs> yeah. Yes, is that the literal drift, or does that go the other way? <laughs> I, I, the literal drift goes the other way, actually. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, so I think it's really interesting that they're bringing in Gobler because it um, he's kind of coming in as a mediator between some of these uh, uh, concerned residents and the town. And um, both groups are going to be hanging on his every word because of his success elsewhere. Um, you know, I, I, I think that we're still quite a bit a ways out. I mean, he hasn't even, you know, started his, uh, his research really in that area, aside from being handed, I'm sure, a big folder full of information from either group. Um, but um, I, I think... One of the questions that he's going to be strapped with is um, this, how much change can happen to what has already been established a a preserved area? Um, Mm -hmm. And I think 
that is going to be one of the challenges um, of this type of research because um, wetlands and uh, bodies of water we know are vulnerable uh, to change. And so the town in their hope to fix a sewage problem um, is going to have a bit of a mountain to climb in, in, in terms of how, how do we, uh, how do we imagine where our, our, the, the less exciting parts of our lives are going to go? Um, you know, especially when you're talking about a preserved place. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think that it, it's it's interesting, and I'm, I'm going to look I'm going to look further west. But it was it was Dr. Gobler working with the West Hampton Beach Village Board a few years ago that helped them with their sewer project that was just recently successfully completed, and it it, it made it, it turned it from an an economic a totally economic consideration how do we bring in sewers to help businesses and and you know provide more housing and and wet uses and all that to an environmental conversation about moneybog bay um and canal in in west hampton beach and and you know and, and he described how you know hooking up to the sewer system would would um you know renew the bay and um you know, and, and help the environment and help the ecosystem. And that allowed, and he, you know, he presented a, I mean, he, he compiled a, a huge report on it and, and that allowed the, the village to, um, to, to get a bunch of state grants and county grants and have that sewer project almost completely paid for through grants and CPF money, because it then was an environmental conversation. And maybe that, um, you know, maybe if he can do some of that in, in Montauk, then that helps secure some more different grant money for Montauk. And it's not just a conversation about the businesses in, in the Montauk Business District. It's more of an environmental conversation about how are we preserving the, you know, the ecosystem there. I think it's really fascinating um, how that happened in West Hampton Beach. And maybe some of those lessons can, um, can be transferred to Montauk. Yeah, but it's a, I guess it's a question of what's leading the cart. Right. It, it, it up until now, I mean, not totally. It's been a business conversation. Right, it's been exactly. a conversation about needing to improve, you know, systems so that way we can, you know, increase our housing or uh, more businesses or improve the the types of uses of our businesses. Um, but you're right. If if there is real environmental planning. Uh, leading the conversation, it could be a um, a real success story for this protected area. Um, West Hampton uh, West Hampton Beach did not happen fast, um, and so Montauk should not uh, expect this to go any quicker. Right. Nothing's going to be speedy. Yeah, um, we should say it's it's concerned citizens of Montauk, I think, who are bringing uh, Dr. Gobler in. Correct. Yes. Is that right, J.D.? I think that's the organization's bringing in. Um, it should be noted that uh, the, the big issue here is that the town says there really isn't any other place for this sewer plant and, you know, sewer treatment plant. And we talk about the environmental impact of a project like this. Leo Don, who is the president of the Montauk Chamber of Commerce, was part of our panel 
um, when we held our event uh, in Montauk recently. And he pointed out that a lot of the businesses in Montauk already have sewer systems that are basically in the water table right now, that, that they really can't do much to fix that. There isn't really much of an option. Even if you put in uh, an advanced septic system that removes some of the, the nutrients out of the, 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 the pollution out of the, the effluent that's going out of your septic system, they're right in the water table. So it doesn't really uh, have as much of an impact. This is, it's, a, it's a dire situation there to some degree. And well, Joe, it's the only place that you can put it if you don't want to see it. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's I the mean, difference. You know, the village, unless, the village of Ocean Beach, the, the village of Ocean Beach on, on Fire Island literally put it on their main street and nobody batted an eye. Mm -hmm. So it, it kind of depends on where you, you know, it's the perception of it. You can dress it up and make it look like something different. There are other cases of it. It's just, I, I it's also a case of uh, climate change, right? Because Montauk says they're going to need to have the ability, if you're gonna, if you're gonna want to see some of the businesses retreat, you're gonna have to have a place for them to retreat to. And having a sewer um, in place would would allow for development. You can guide the development in some other areas that might not be quite so threatened. So there's a bigger picture to this as well. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's a conversation that continues in Montauk and and. Uh, you know, Bill, I, it's interesting that you bring up West Hampton Beach because I think it was a it was a parallel situation there. That is a conversation that took place in West Hampton Beach for years and years and years. And it, yeah. it, it nothing happened until it did. And right. then it happened at a fairly brisk pace. And, and West Hampton Beach got kind of lucky in, in that the, the county sewage treatment plant at Cabresky Airport, they were able to tie in with that if they had had to build um, you know, their own sewage treatment plant, that would have been a must, a much costlier option. So, so there was a little bit of luck involved there too. But, but again, yeah, I mean, as, as, as I said, turning it from a conversation about, um, you know, and it, it went hand in hand with, with, um, you know, revitalizing Main Street, but turning it, you know, into a conversation that was less about, um, you know, the Main Street businesses and, and housing and more about saving Moneybog Bay um just just made it, it brought in a whole you know a slew of of other stakeholders um that then became interested county officials and state officials and all that and said all right so this is an environmental thing and it allowed them to get that cpf money um you, you know that um that, that that really helped and and grants from um you know from the state and and, and the county and and um yeah you know, ties back to chris gobler too i mean they brought him and uh that I think it was a, a good move on their part to bring him in to look at it. Um, and it just turned the conversation around because it had been stalled, like you said, for 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 decades. How are we going to pay for this? I mean, that was always the bottom line. Yeah, we'd like sewers on Main Street, but who's going to pay for it? How are we going to pay for it? Is the taxpayer going to going to pay for it? And, and um, you know, the final project cost the taxpayer um, nothing dollars, dollars a year. Um, because I think that's the challenge. The challenge in Montauk is logistic as much as the, yeah. the expense of it. Um, so Dr. Gobler will be called in to try and solve this problem in Montauk as well. It's a it's a big challenge, but uh, he's been part of the solution before. So we'll see if that has any impact on the conversation. 
This is Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw. My co-host is Bill Sutton. We're with the Express News Group. Our panelists today are Christine Sampson of the East Hampton Star, Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local, and J.D. Allen of WSHU uh, Public Radio. Um, Denise, we've talked before many times on the show about a project up your way uh, that's known as Triple Five. Tell us again what that project is. And you said there, there are some new developments this week. Um, well, the Triple um, Five is the company that owns basically um, Calverton Aviation and Technology. And um, this ties in with uh, water quality issues, uh, which are just uh, all around us, it seems. But um, the property uh, is still under environmental investigation for potential mediation of um pollution, groundwater and soil pollution. This is the site that um, the Navy owned and, and uh, leased to um, Grumman Aerospace later in Northrop Grumman, um, which moved out of there like in 1998, but left us a lot of uh, lingering gifts, shall we say, um, <laughs> because um, just, you know, different chemicals that were used there, um, chemicals that were used to put out um, fires when planes crashed that they were testing. It was a, a testing uh, naval weapons and, and um, aircraft the testing facility. And, um, you know, those things polluted um, the soils and, and the groundwaters. They also did fire training at, at the site in different places, um, which involved using the that firefighting foam that you know, contaminates that we now know is, you know, hazardous stuff. So um, they, they last week, um, the Navy, they do this meeting once every, uh, twice a year, actually. And um, it's a community meeting. And generally speaking, it's like watching, you know, paint dry. Uh, it's just so, I don't know if you've ever attended any of these, but it, they're really they go through all kinds of technical data and stuff and they're just mind numbing but um lo and behold this last meeting they spoke about how they made a bunch more uh discoveries of um one of the main chemicals that that are contaminants over there are PFAS is like forever chemicals and um that are considered emerging contaminants and um that regulators are still kind of sorting things out in terms of, you know, where they what the maximum level should be in drinking water and such, but not good stuff. And um, they found many more sites at significant levels. Um, mm. And some of them are um, on the property that's uh, going to be or planning to be sold to this company where they are planning to um, develop rather large um, structures at, uh, along the runways there. Um, so I, the question is like, what will that do to this development? Like, will excavating for building these, these buildings, um, some of them are like, they're proposing like million square foot logistics warehouses along the runways that would receive cargo by rail and plane. Um, and so, you know, how deep will that excavation have to go? What will it do to the soil? Is it going to redirect the groundwater flow? Um, all of this nasty stuff is kind of a lot of it anyway, 
is like going downstream, if you will, um, heading toward the Peconic River, which is already, you know, has been polluted by it. So it's not a good situation. And, um, you know, they, we found out like a couple of years ago, I think it was that the Navy, you know, knew of this, uh, or knew that PFAS was at the site back in, in 2016. And it's migrating off-site and affecting people's private drinking water wells. And that's why there was like, you know, a really big issue that, as J.D. mentioned earlier, before we went on the air, um, you know, has, is be, it looks like it's being resolved now through um, some additional county funding that's going to allow um, the Suffolk County Water Authority to complete uh, water hookups in both, uh, well, in, in the town of Riverhead and in, in the Matterville area. And through um, and and for the people that live in Matterville in the town of Brookhaven, where Brookhaven Town also had money to to kick into this. So the the idea there being to get people off of using well water and and well yeah because there are a lot of well a lot of wells there are polluted not only with PFAS but with other things that are contaminants likely from you know the the uses at this site. But of course. You can't, that's like at this point impossible to prove, you know, like, mm-hmm. and, and so the Grumman's gone, the Navy doesn't want to uh, pay any money. <laughs> and so it's been up to local governments and to some extent that really the state government also um, with, with some aid to that. So uh, that's, you know, that was kind of a, a big, uh, you know, wow moment here, because what's that guy? This is an extremely controversial proposal um this the, the proposal that they've made and um it's um the the plans that they presented last fall to the Riverhead Industrial Development Agency to to which they are applying for financial assistance in the form of a lot of different tax breaks um were kind of um t- sort of took your breath away they're talking about 10 million square feet of development and mm. over 8 million square feet of that is are these like big logistics centers um, that are going to handle cargo, um, which wasn't what we heard when they first proposed that their development of that site back in 2018, when they signed the contract. Uh, well, in the in the months that led up to the that signing of the contract with the, the town. So the town. And they're talking about, um, about a, like a cargo hub that's going to feed going to feed well, I mean, delivery services, right? I mean, that's well, kind of yeah. What, I mean, they're they're, they're talking, talking about. about like renting these renting these uh, warehouses, logistics centers to various tenants who are going to receive cargo there. There's two really big runways there. One yeah. of them is bigger than anywhere but um, a couple of runways at JFK, and and then they will then you know it's part of the supply chain. Tractor trailers will take cargo to other big warehouses, and from there they will go to, you know, last mile facilities, et cetera. Um, so it's a really, really big, um, it's a big project, and if it happens, it's going to have a lot of impacts on, on people that live uh, in the in the in the region, really. So. Um, and, and you had a story. You had a story this week that the Riverhead Town board members said that they were kind of unaware of 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 what the the details of the project um you know before it until they saw it in in on your on your site right well you know 
uh, yeah, that's what that's what's being said. Um, so I won't go into the reasons why, but the town of Riverhead is actually a co-applicant with CAT for the financial assistance in the form of tax breaks, including property tax breaks in the town and other other taxing districts. But they actually joined that application to the Riverhead Industrial Development Agency. And mm. um, so they actually signed that application and the application in describes the plans. Um, but I mean, the plans were not um, represented visually in pictures <laughs> until they were presented to the Industrial Development Agency Board in September when they filed it, when they, the board accepted their application and began this review process, the, the IDA board. And so um, incredibly to me, quite honestly, I mean, they, um, you know, they, the four of the five members that I was able to reach, or, or I, I was able to reach three of them and the supervisor who didn't call me back earlier that day on a radio station in Riverhead said she didn't know anything about it. So, I mean, she didn't know the specifics of these plans. I shouldn't say anything about it, but, you know, they, they authorized they signing this off. application. So didn't they read it? I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I, it's confounding to me. It's I don't also... Know. It's also like the relationship between how IDAs and their uh, their towns work where, you know, something gets goes through an IDA and there are tax breaks that get approved as long as the town board approves it. And then the town board might use the IDA process as a reason why, oh, this is pro this project is good because of the economic development that was approved by the IDA. But like those two processes should be. You know, well, I mean, the town, the town really has no say over whether they get the IDA gives the tax benefits that the, the town has no, no, you know, no role in that. And under normal circumstances, a project goes to the IDA for those benefits after it already has approvals. But here the town owns the property. There's so many layers. I don't even want to get yeah. it. But like the town owns the property, but they can't subdivide it because they've got all kinds of problems with the DEC and their water issues and so they can't it, they, it's been stalled they went to court against the dec they got thrown out of court and and so like they they're trying to move this thing along and they're they're the idea was that they would join the application to the ida with with cat and and then you know cat would process the subdivision but meanwhile they're going to lease the land they're they're the town's transferring all of its land to the ida and then the ida is going to lease some of it even though there are not legal lots, but they're going to lease some of it to this developer that's going to start building. And, uh, you know, it's a very complicated and kind of a, a, a kooky situation, honestly. Um, but that's you the talk, plan. You talked about the emerging contaminants at the site, too. J.D., mm -hmm. You we talked earlier that, the, you know, related to that, another emerging contaminant, 1,4-dioxane. There's a, there's a new study that's planned uh, to try and try and document just how bad uh, the contamination is uh, for that emerging contaminant, right? Yeah, so the Citizens Campaign for the Environment is uh, working with the Yale Superfund Research Center um, to look for Long Island volunteers uh, to test their blood and go through a questionnaire to see 
uh, how much this um, toxic chemical 1,4-dioxane is a part of you, basically. Um, the state adopted uh, some of the strictest standards in the country for 1,4-dioxane, uh, uh, I believe, last year. And so uh, for drinking water, but there are still other environmental impacts uh, uh, like consuming it in different ways or encountering it in our water bodies or in our soils um, where we could still, you know, be having um, uh, contact with this chemical. Um, and so the study is going to uh, kind of track over the past year, now that uh, there are supposed to be systems in place uh, to mitigate this chemical, um, uh, how much are New Yorkers um, still encountering it? Yeah, I think it's uh, interesting with with some of these contaminants. We we they are they're emerging contaminants. We really don't know that much about how bad the the situation is with them, right? I the the interesting thing about this one four dioxane is that. It's a chemical that is manufactured, synthetic chemical uh, that's manufactured for a particular purpose. Uh, it's a stabilizer for solvents. However, it's something that in the manufacturing that that is created in the manufacturing process of other things. Um, mm. And so it's it exists in all kinds of products. It's mm. crazy. Yeah, and a lot of cleaning. levels of it. Uh, shampoos. Household cleaners, soaps, laundry detergents, like you name it. I published a list on our website of the 1,471 products that have gotten exemptions from the state DEC because they're they're supposed to not have more than a certain level in products that consumers use, right? But they're they're giving exemptions. The law allows them to give exemptions for a couple of years. To, to for these manufacturers to get it together and, and get address this in their shampoos and detergents and things. I mean, drift laundry soap that you use for babies' clothes, for example, baby magic lotion, um, you know, all kinds wow. of like shampoos, Pantene, a whole L'Oreal, a whole bunch of different, you know, things that are in every that you probably could look in your in your cupboards and closets and find right now. So and uh, and so like with a lot of these chemical um uh, uh contaminants whether it's pfos or 1,4-dioxane it is like um continuous sustained contact over time can be uh dangerous to your health mm -hmm. it's not like a one-off where you use the wrong soap and now that you have cancer no. it doesn't align quite Absolutely like not. that um but, but you have continuous when you consider sustained contact <laughs> Yeah, continuous sustained yeah. contact, and it's also the amount of contact that you're coming in contact with um, the uh, over time that's important. So, like, for drinking water, the state standard is one part per billion, and so one piece per a billion of something else. Um, many of the products that were exempt were over 2,000 parts per per billion so wow. you know you're you're it, it's still small in consideration to the billion piece but it's two thousand more than what the drinking water standard is um and then some of these products are really up to seventeen thousand parts per billion so like the mm -hmm. number really 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 clicks up um for some of these um now exempt products 
But uh, so when they say, are getting, when, they're getting washed down the drain. I mean, I think an important thing here with the drinking, the, tying it into the drinking water is that these things are getting washed down the drain into septic systems, right? And from there, they're not getting filtered out, you, you know, and from there, they're entering the groundwater. So it's a cycle that's, you know, all the, all the way around a pretty unhealthy thing. So that Superfund Research Center, when if you volunteer for the study, they're also going to test your, your tap water. And and see what that looks like to gauge your exposure. And they said that they will give you the results of all of these tests. So that's and I'm a, guessing that's the first benefit. step is the first step is to try and yeah. figure out how much of this the is getting into people's bodies and and to go from there. Absolutely interesting so, stuff. So so when they say lather, rinse, repeat, you should probably skip the repeat part. Right? <laughs> Or any of it, really. I almost wrote a lead like that, actually, Bill. Lather, <laughs> rinse, repeat. Maybe not. <laughs> it's just, this is Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw. My co-host is Bill Sutton. We're with the Express News Group. Our guests today are Christine Sampson of the East Hampton Star, Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local, and J.D. Allen of WSHU Public Radio. Bill, we had a story this week that uh, is sort of part of a pattern. We've been talking lately about... Um, the uh, Suffolk County looking at doing some road work in the region created a bit of a stir when they talked about a major project along County Road 39 that was coming up in a couple of years. That got pushed forward a little. But in the course of the conversation about County Road 39 and North Sea Road is another project, we found there is a big project coming up that may have even more significant impact sooner. Yes. Um, I, and, and it's it's curious why the the county all of a sudden is is focused on um, on these these East End projects. There must have been some extra grant money, or maybe some COVID money, or something that kind of filtered. There's certainly money. infrastructure money. So something. So so the latest thing they're talking about, they want to um, um, re- replace or repair the um the long island railroad uh bridge it's an overpass in in hampton bays on montauk highway um that it, it, it's on the um you know between between where the king Collin is and, and canoe place road they're talking about it's a, it's a multi-million dollar project obviously um in and they want to they're, they're looking at it for a couple a couple years down the road i think 2025 um they want to do it but which which is great if it needs work but the big part you know the big issue with that is is they're talking about a, a permanent closing of of montauk highway for for eight months eight to ten months while they do this project and and then um deferring traffic down um Pongquag avenue to fanning avenue and then back up canoe place road and um the the town has been working for um for a couple of years now to try to get people off those side streets and and here comes um here comes the county that you know they're going to make that kind of a permanent detour for for eight months and and if anybody's been on um that stretch of montauk highway in the morning heading east you know that that even when they bring in tree trimming crews i mean it just any any kind of delay to the so the train parade traffic there just causes uh, gridlock in in the area, and it's just I don't um, I, I don't know how the um, how the area is is going to necessarily deal with that detour. 
And and the other part of of this, which which was kind of upsetting, is um, there's there's this plan in place, but town officials, Southampton town officials, said that they weren't even consulted um, about this plan or this detour. Um, you know, to put put cars on on the side streets. Um, you know, to you know, again, Ponquag to, to Canoe Place Road and and all that. And I, I think after some complaining, the town's now going to be um brought to the table but i i don't know that a project like this that you can necessarily put the brakes on or i i, I don't i don't think we we didn't see any discussion on um you know the the overall condition of the overpass whether it's whether it's um really dangerous or not or, or the need to replace it but it just is kind of alarming and and you know, again, it's a repeated pattern when they were talking about county road 39 and they were talking about north sea road projects you know, a few weeks ago, the, the the county just seems really tone deaf about about the traffic problems that, you know, that the East End um, faces. And they were talking County Road 39 about, you know, kind of, you know, one lane open at any time and trying to do some work at night and, and all that. But it's just when, when you've got, you know, two roads in and, you know, in those same two roads out, you know, of the East End, it's just when when you create delays on one it, it filters over to the other and it just um um this could it could turn into a nightmare and fanning avenue is a residential street that they want to yeah. use as a as a bypass for all of that morning traffic um Thousand, we had a, thousands, thousands of cars every morning yeah we had a short story this week about um charlie mcardle the uh southampton town highway superintendent uh and his department coming up with a fix for a bridge problem that they had where they rented a temporary bridge uh, to get to, to provide access that, you know, the, the bridge that was there wasn't able to carry heavy equipment. So they weren't able to do any paving. I wonder if a temporary bridge might be part of a solution at that site um, rather than trying to do a detour. It's something we're going to be talking about um, and it'll have, you know, all of these projects are going to have an enormous impact on traffic for for a, the next couple of years we have to keep an eye on it christy we only have a couple of minutes left but i do want to take a couple of minutes and talk about um school budgets um especially out your way in east hampton town several of the districts out your way are, are looking to pierce the the state's uh cap on tax levy increases this year with their budgets that's is that correct yes so we have at least three districts here um that are planning this uh, to to attempt this. Of course, it's going to be kind of a tall task because you need a supermajority, 60% voter approval or more to pass the budget, right? And then, so we have Springs, Montauk, and Wainscott um, in order of least to highest tax increase. Um, so tax levy increase, I should say. But um, Montauk's budget situation has been brewing sort of for many years in particular. It's the first time they're attempting to pierce the cap after years of the state telling them you have to spend down your reserves. So they did that. And now they're stuck in this situation. Mm -hmm. So it's, it ties into larger issues, you know, um, in Wainscott and Springs' cases, tuition, because they, they don't go K to 12 in those districts. Springs is K to 8 and Wainscott is K to 3. Um, you're facing, you know, Wainscott is actually short this year because of tuition. Um, Springs is facing like an enormous increase because of high school tuition. And one of the things in the early stages of being discussed is, can we do a reserve account for tuition? So 
that districts could set aside year end, you know, surpluses to save towards future tuition expenses. And that would obviously require state legislation. Populations kind of go up and down and it's kind of hard to budget that out in in years coming. Right. I think that's kind of the point. Yeah. Yeah. And and you can't like the situation that Wayne Scott is in is if if a kid shows up at your school, at the doors of your school, you can't turn them away. You know, if they're legally a resident of your district, you have to educate them. You have and the the policy, as the spring superintendent, Deborah Winter, explained, is enroll first, ask questions later. Yeah. So, you know, they're and these, been these doing small that. districts are all in that situation, right? With the mm-hmm. fluctuation yeah. with the population. Again, yeah. brings up brings up an argument for some kind of uh consolidation or shared services. Yeah, that's a lot of the conversation. Some of the people are talking about that writing letters to the editor here at the star, yeah. um, suggesting that in you know, discussions at the school board meetings. Um, but it's gonna be um, you know, it, it's the first time attempting it for Montauk and Springs, um, which have been under the cap every other year. But Wayne Scott has had to do this a couple of times already. They're mm-hmm. put, they're putting like a 40% increase on the table. Wow. Um, yeah. And they're at, as it is, they're hundreds of thousands of dollars in the red this year because of the tuition, uh, you know, the tuition costs. They didn't expect all these kids to show up. How can and you? This- the small districts just can't, they don't have the flexibility to deal with these swings in population and, and also the swings in the expenses that come along with that. I think it's a long overdue conversation about yeah. about consolidation that's finally going to maybe take some root. We're out of time, Chrissy. I, I think we could we could spend a lot more time talking about that issue. That's an important one. We'll, we'll circle back to that in future weeks. Uh, but uh, we have to move on this week. I want to thank our guests, Christine Sampson from the East Hampton Star, Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local, and J.D. Allen of WSHU Public Radio. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you to my co-host, Bill Sutton. Uh, and I'm Joe Shaw. We will be back next week with another edition of Behind Deadlines. Thank you, everybody. Thank you.